Welcome, a uh, special welcome to all of you who are visiting. Um, uh, COVID has uh, obviously impacted all of our lives pretty severely. One of the places it's most felt on campus is in chapel. Um, you saw some pictures up there of what a chapel looks like full, but usually um, we have most of the student body here um, worshiping. And the, the purpose, the, the heart of chapel is that we might encounter Jesus together as community. So in this kind of funky time, we're um, super blessed and grateful to have worship leaders who um, can still minister to us in music, who can sing over us and pray over us. And um, you could tell this morning, um, they seek uh, to find songs that will minister to our community as we're sung over um, and, and prayed over. Uh, this morning, I'd like to look at a passage that's kind of a, a bit of a slowdown passage. Um, a few days ago, we had a, a light snow here in Chattanooga. We don't get that very often. But I was, I was downstairs in my living room, and I was looking out, and the, the snow was, was still kind of trickling down, and everything was light, lightly dusted. And this intrepid gray squirrel, like, bounds out into my yard. And he, he's jumping around, and he finds a nut, and he flies up a tree, and he sits up on a branch. And he sits up there, and his tail is all twitchy, and I know he didn't mean to do it, but it was so cool. As his tail's twitching, he's dusting the snow off of the branch. Um, so the snow is falling down. And it was just one of those like slow down moments. And, and the Father um, is good to give us those moments and kind of invite us uh, to slow down and to actually see um, and to see clearly. And COVID, I think, in some ways has done that. It's, it's forced us to slow down. Um, some things I think we've ended up seeing more clearly. Um, some things perhaps less clearly, a little confusing. But the passage this morning is, is one of those slowdown passages. Um, it's about a man who's about to die. Um, he knows he's about to die. And as he is about to die, it's what he sees and what God shows him and what God, God calls him to remember and be focused on. So in the midst of these sort of um, funky circumstances in his life, and we'll look at those, um, he's reminded of the character of God. And that's the final thing that God reminds him of. Um, we're going to look at the death of Moses. Um, it's a super small passage in Deuteronomy 34. Uh, but before we look there, just a reminder of Moses's life, a short, short biography, if you will. Um, we all know who Moses is, um, but sometimes it's good to be reminded sort of um, over, overarching view of who he was. Um, he was adopted into um, a royal family by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, his ancestors had been saved by God and were blessed in the same land in which his people had become slaves in Egypt. When he's 40 years old, he kills an Egyptian soldier and he flees to the land of Midian. And when he gets to Midian, he marries a woman. He marries uh, his wife. Um, he becomes a shepherd. He tends his father-in-law's flocks. And while he's out tending the flocks one day, the Lord God comes to him um, in a burning bush. And Moses, who's a murderer, who has fled Egypt, I think was probably always wondering, is someone going to find me? Am I ever going to be caught? And now here's the living God in a burning bush. But instead of bringing judgment upon Moses, he calls Moses into service. He wants Moses to free his people. And so he does. He leads the Israelites to freedom from Pharaoh and Egypt. They come through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. 
um, they gather at Mount Sinai. And at, at Mount Sinai, he meets God. And he's given the commandments for the people of Israel who would be God's people. Um, but at Sinai, as is the case afterward with most of uh, the Old Testament, um, the people of God are led to distraction and grumbling and idolatry, and they will end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. God will lead, and God will provide, and God will meet with Moses, but the people will regularly grumble and turn often from the Lord. And Moses, Moses is the mediator between the people and God. He knew God, he met with God, he talked with God, he knew God intimately for about 80 years of his life. And eventually, God brings them to the Jordan River, and they're going to cross into the Promised Land. Um, but Moses has been told by God that he won't be going into the Promised Land. Um, during their wilderness wanderings, um, as the people continued to grumble about water, um, Moses makes a, a pretty massive um, sin. Uh, God has told him to speak to a rock to bring water out of it. And Moses, in his frustration and his anger, ends up defiling the glory of God. It's a really super interesting theological passage, but the bottom line is he's disobedient to God and he um, uh, has no regard for God's glory and he strikes the rock twice, water comes out, but because of that, he's not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. So that's sort of his life biography, but then just a really quick heart biography of Moses. He was a man who always wanted to know God and find favor with God. Um, and above all, he wanted God to go with and be present with Israel so that every nation and every person would see God's love and provision and power and would glorify him. That was at the heart of Moses' entire being, the desire that God would be glorified when people would see his love and care for his people and that his people would be faithful and that God would never depart them. The theme of his heart really was, if your presence does not go with us, Lord, then do not send us up from here. So here we are. We, we come to the passage. It's been 40 years in the wilderness. Um, they're about to enter the promised land. Moses tells them that 120 years old, he will no longer lead them, and that God has said he won't cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. Um, and then the Lord has kind of a face-to-face -face conversation with Moses. Um, he pulls Moses aside and he tells him, the day of your death is near. So Moses' work and his ministry is done. And as they're about to cross in, Joshua is going to be the one who will lead. But then God drops this bomb on Moses and he tells him, listen to what he says, you are going to rest with your ancestors and these people that are about to cross over, the Israelites that you love, they will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. I will certainly hide my face in that day because of their wickedness in turning to other gods. Moses is about to die. Joshua is going to lead. God's going to go before the people into the land. But now Moses knows that the people are going to turn to idolatry. You can imagine the questions that he has, the circumstances that are floating in his mind, what he's wondering about, what is going to happen to the people, and will God be glorified in their midst? Okay, now our passage. 
That sets up Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. All right. It seems like a fairly innocuous passage, right? Not a lot going on. Moses climbs Mount Nebo, and we kind of conjure in our minds images of him climbing Sinai, right? And he goes up, and God gives him a view of all of the land. Pisgah is just a viewpoint. So he takes him up to a viewpoint where he can see all of the promised land. And it almost, it could almost seem like God was being um, a little bit rubbing salt in the wound, right? You don't get to go into the promised land, but I'll take you up and let you see all of it, even though you can't go in. But what's happening here is not that he's rubbing something in. This is in fact a sweet act of grace. The father is showing him the land not to rub in what he's missing, but instead he's giving him legal possession of the land. Viewing land had significant implications in ancient um, Hebrew uh, land law. For a person to actually take possession of land, the final piece was for them to walk in and walk through and see the land. So instead of something uh, mean-spirited here, what is happening here is God is giving him a sweet act of grace. He's showing him the entire land and legally letting Moses take possession of that land. Moses won't cross into it, but God is saying, your mission is done. You're about to die. And here, the final act of grace before you go to your death and are gathered to your fathers, you will actually take possession of the promised land. The father's loving care of, act, of, of grace um, for Moses. And the blessing is, is so sweet and so unexpected. He's about to die. He's about to be gathered to his fathers. He's not going to cross over, but the Lord says, my graciousness is for you. And then the Lord says to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over to it. Um, <clears throat> he's begun with an act of grace. And now we are going to see his assurance of his promises, his assurance of his faithfulness. When he says to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said I will give it to your descendants. What God is saying there, Moses, I understand you have wonders and concerns about what's going to happen. I've told you that the people are going to be um, idolatrous and are going to turn from me. But what you need to know is, despite their faithlessness, I am going to be faithful to my promises. And if we remember back in Genesis chapter 15, um, God makes promises of, of land and children to Abraham. And when Abraham, Abraham says, 
Lord, how will I know that you're actually going to do this? Abraham says, take three animals, take a ram, a heifer, and a goat, cut them in half and place them on the ground and put some, some birds at the top. And he cuts the animals in half and he sets them out. And what the Lord is doing, he's, he's creating a treaty, a covenant treaty between himself and Abraham. And what would normally happen in a, in a covenant is the powerful one, the king, would cut, they'd cut the animals in half and then the, suit, the, the vassal, the, the person who's lesser, would walk through the animals and the king would say, if you're unfaithful to your promises to serve me, you will be killed just like these animals were slaughtered. So the animals are slaughtered, a covenant treaty is set up, and the Lord puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And then God shows up in his theophanic presence as a fire pot, a torch, and the Lord himself goes through the animals. Do you guys remember this? And it's the Lord promising upon himself, saying, Abraham, I'm going to be faithful to my promises, and I'm promising on myself, not on anything that you will do, but on my faithfulness as the living God. And here, the Father is reminding Moses, I am going to be faithful to my promises, despite how the people might behave. So we have a sweet act of grace and graciousness. We have an assurance of his promises. And then we're told that Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. So Moses' life is done. He's still strong in body and in vision, but it was time for the Lord to take him. And I almost picture, picture this. This is not scriptural. This is, this is my own, uh, my own um, we'll call it biblical imagination, if you will. But I can imagine Moses there, and he looks out, and he sees the land. He's inherited the promised land. He's heard the Father's assurance of his faithfulness to his people. And Moses lays down. And he lays down and takes a nap. And he doesn't wake up. And then the father blows dust in the same way that he did when he separated the Red Sea. He blows dirt and dust and covers over Moses. And I think part of the reason that he did that is so that the Israelites couldn't find Moses' grave and turn it into a place of idolatry or a place of worship. That would have been the, the ultimate um, irony and, and twist of wickedness. Um, so Moses is gathered uh, to his fathers. Um, scripture then tells us that Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, his strength wasn't gone. The Israelites grieved for him in the plain of Moab. And since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. But the story, it doesn't actually end there. Um, in addition to God's act of grace in showing him the promised land, in addition to the assurance um, of God's faithful, um, faithfulness to his promises, we have, we have a future piece that's going to show up, a future element that's going to play out. So centuries after the invasion of Canaan, you remember Jesus stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's on his way to the cross, and two people show up. Remember who it was? 
Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. Moses now stands in the promised land, and he stands speaking to the Son of God. Moses has been brought into the promised land, and now he's speaking to the Son of God who is about to obtain the eternal promised land for his followers and for the sons of Abraham, for those who would have faith like Abraham and those who would be sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. A greater privilege than inspecting the new land, they're actually present in the promised land. And he gets to speak to Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is going to secure that eternal promised land for all of the people of God. So wherever you are, however God is slowing you down, it may be literally just this morning where you're slowing down. It may have been the last 11 months. It may be off and on during times. The Father is inviting us to see and to remember and to focus on his character. In much the same way that Moses, who came to the very end of his life, he slowed down and God's taken him to the top and he's reminded him of his grace. We need to be reminded of God's grace and see and keep in our eyes God's grace, which he's extended to us in Jesus, who's died for us, who's paid the price for our sin that we never could, and who's secured the eternal promised land for us. Moses was reminded of God's faithfulness to his promises, and we too are reminded, and we need to keep focused on the faithfulness of God to his promises. They're all throughout Scripture. We need to be reminded and remember that God is faithful to the promise that says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. That there's nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. Faithfulness to his promises. And then the third piece. Moses didn't know there was a future element. I doubt that, that the father had told him that he was actually going to get to speak to the Messiah. But there was a future element, and we actually know the future element, the promise of what's to come, that in the fullness of time, we will be citizens in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will eat at the table with the Lamb. We will live and reign with Jesus. We will see him face to face in all of his glory as he truly is. We'll be given incorruptible bodies like his, and we will spend eternity in the presence and the glory of God. Moses, whose heart was so concerned with the glory of God that the people would see it, that the people would know it, we are promised and we know that Jesus has secured it and that we will live in the glory of God forever, seeing Jesus as he truly is, us, his sons and daughters, redeemed by his blood. Slow down. The circumstances might swirl, but we need to remember the character of God, his grace, his faithfulness, and what's to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, um, Father, thank you for being a gracious God. Father, I thank you for the opportunity uh, the opportunities that you give us to slow down and with those times the invitation that comes from you 
to remember who you are, to see clearly your character, to remember your graciousness, to know about the assurance of your faithfulness, and Father, to remember uh, what's to come. And we are humbled by your love for us, grateful that by your Holy Spirit we're able to know you and worship you. And we pray, Father, that you will be with us. Lord, I ask especially that uh, with the students and families that are here today considering college, that you would be gracious and merciful to them, that you would give them wisdom and clarity of thought, and that you would be very clear about where you want them to be, that they might best know you and serve you and be prepared to follow you with their lives. Lord, be gracious to them as well as they travel, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.